the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. I don't know why I always say that. <laughs> Am I welcoming myself back? Am I welcoming listeners back? Yeah, I don't know. Hey, if you hear anything you'd like to get more information on on this show, uh, feel free to go to my website, spillingtoncapital.com. You can, uh, there's a contact us page there. When you fill in the contact us page, it's very helpful if you fill in what, what kind of questions you have. It could be just general or anything, but oftentimes people will fill out the form, uh, but they forget to ask the question. <laughs> so anyway, I, I'll still email you back. It's just that I'll email you and say, well, okay, what, what kind of question did you have that I could help you with? And uh, just adds another step, but no, really no big deal. And I'll tell you what is a big deal. The, uh, the developments going on around the world, um, it's kind of wild. Uh, interest rates have jumped up dramatically. Uh, if you've got, uh, most people have a, a, a um, super high percentage of their portfolios in fixed income bonds, and rightly so, uh, especially depending on your age. But um, that has changed so quickly, I mean, much faster than I think anybody had anticipated. And there's a new product out. Uh, it's a software product that's made available by one of my custodians that allows us to go in and, and see what kind of bonds there are that we might be able to buy. Um, and you can kind of lay out all the parameters that you want. It It's interesting. It is fascinating. I, I have n never seen a platform as sophisticated as this one. Um, and it, I think it's really going to help. I mean, I think it's really going to help when you're talking about uh, buying bonds, you know, government bonds, CDs, you know, CDs, 
they've changed the market for CDs forever. When a CD gets out there, when a, when a bank issues a CD, okay, now they're taking that, and they've been doing this for quite a while. It's just that it's picked up in popularity here over the past couple of years, really, uh, hugely over the last 12 months. So what a bank will do is, is they will take a CD that they have, uh, that they've guaranteed, and they will actually sell that CD to another institution, kind of like Fidelity. Um, so Fidelity will buy those CDs from the banks and then resell them to the public. Now, the banks, with interest rates going up, oftentimes are willing to take those CDs, and they're willing to take less than they paid for them. That's called a discount. They're willing to discount the CDs to sell it to Fidelity, who will then in turn pass a portion of that discount on to you. So you might not even have to pay $1,000 for a $1,000 CD. That gets added into your uh, total return. And it gives you a really, it gives the interest rate a nice boost. Okay, so that's pretty good. And when we come back from the first 15-minute break, I'll actually have some numbers for you that, uh, you know, what, what are the current rates? Now, they're not like the... 1980s, you know, when I got into the business, I, CDs were paying something like uh, 10%. And that wasn't the height of the, the, the peak of CD interest rates. They pay, peaked way back in the uh, early 80s, back when I was just getting out of high school. And uh, that, that's when the interest rates in this country peaked. Those were the highest that were ever recorded. And they were still right around 10% when I was getting into this industry. Uh, they're nowhere near that. I, I'm not sure how long it would take to get to that level. But if you if interest rates are going that way, you really need to do some serious planning because you can get hammered. Over the past four to five years, the average bond funds got negative returns. I mean, that's just because the principal kept going down despite the fact that they were paying dividends, which is lovely. That means you had to pay tax on the interest that you're receiving despite the fact that your principal was, was going down. Now, there is a solution to that. You can actually sell those funds. And, and if you're buying bond funds, I buy a lot of bond funds. You just want to make sure that the average maturity on the bond fund is not greater than two and a half years. Um, that We've been doing that for a while now. And, and quite frankly, it's stemmed some of the bleeding. Uh, so it was a good move. And if you don't have enough money to qualify to buy individual bonds or CDs, which is... Not that common anymore. You can get started with a fairly small dollar amount now. But in the old days, I mean, you needed fifty to 100000 bucks, And that's one of the reasons you haven't heard me talk about that, because that's just for one CD or one bond. And that typically doesn't make up all of your money. So uh, in other words, you're probably going to have to have more like a million dollars to have that make sense. Well, with the technology that's available today, you don't have to have the really high... Uh, asset amounts to be able to participate in those markets. That's one of the things I really like about this. This has been made available to uh, people like me to make available to the general public in a way that we haven't been able to do it before. It's a little bit more manual, but I think it's worth it. You know, and I, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll come back to this uh, in the second part of today's show. So if you want to uh, keep tuning in there, if you can't listen to the whole thing, you can also, you can go to thefish.com and, and it's there as a, a podcast. It's on my website as a podcast. It's on iHeart as a podcast. So you can pick this stuff up if you have to do something else in the next 20 or 30 minutes. And I'll tell you a little bit about, uh, you know, just the economy in general. Um, 
it's actually, it's, it's unbelievable. If we didn't have the supply chain backups, people would be, I mean, the, the economy would be going nuts, even with the what's going on in Europe and with Russia. Actually, that's accelerating a lot of the spending. And uh, a lot of this, people don't realize when we send that money over or those to countries like Ukraine, that money was paid for by uh, U.S. citizens. I mean, that money that we're sending. And we're, we're not going to get that back. That, that's actually got a, a bright spot to it. The, the fact is, if we printed that money and kept it here, inflation would be higher than it is. <laughs> if you spent that same amount of money in the United States, the, uh, but when you take it out of the United States, it's no longer a part of our economy. We spent the money, but it's over there. Okay. So if you leave it here and people are spending it uh, and paying taxes on it, uh, it just creates a higher inflation rate in the United States than it potentially could by sending the money overseas. So I know a lot of uh, PhD economists are just rolling their eyes right now and, and, and don't agree with that. Well, too bad. Get your own radio show. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The... Um... <laughs> And in the grand scheme of things, you know, economics, it's known as the dismal science because there's the way it's supposed to work and then there's the way it actually works. And you kind of, it's kind of like betting on sports. I mean, you think you know who the better teams are, <laughs> but they don't always, it doesn't always work out like you think it's going to. And that happens a lot in economics. I mean, it, it's, it's mind boggling. The, uh, so makes it pretty difficult, you know, because I, I know you know, I see the speeches. I've seen them for 40 years now. I can't believe I'm this old. <laughs> Almost 40 years. But uh, kind of funny. And right now, what you're seeing is that, you know, there's an, an awful lot of demand. When when you spend money, economies grow. There's an inflation rate that comes with that, by the way. Nobody knows exactly what it's going to be. We, they measure the current inflation rate, and they try to make adjustments to whatever they see happening currently. That's what the Fed's job is. They're going to try to control the economy through the money supply uh, and through um, speaking with government on, on how they're going to be spending money. They really don't have a whole lot of influence on them. But that's okay because Congress doesn't have a whole lot of influence on the Fed either, and they shouldn't. It should be separate. It's a, it works really well. It's why... The United States, with 5%, I think we're, uh, yeah, 5% of the world population, somewhere around there. Yeah, right around 5% of the world population. 20% of the output. Think about that for a second. That should not be that way. <laughs> Why is it that way? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's my personal opinion, it's because our, our banking system, it allows us to move much faster than other uh, worldwide economies. So it's kind of neat. You know, we've got this in our back pocket. There's, It's easier in the United States than most other countries around the world to set up and start your own business. That's why so many people come here. Um, not that it's easy. It's easier. <laughs> it's uh, Actually, I can tell you for a fact it's not easy. But it's uh, easier than it is in other countries around the world. Um, so... Anyway, we're a little bit more flexible. Uh, financing's there. I hear the, I think I hear the beginning of the music. Or no, I didn't. That was somebody come 
That was somebody making noise. <laughs> but uh, anyway, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about where the economy might be headed, uh, what kinds of areas you might want to be concentrating in, in uh, as far as investments go. Uh, I'll come back to talk about how that the bond laddering or your bonds, the fixed income portion of your portfolio, the, be, the best places for it now, uh, included uh, fixed indexed annuities, the fixed part being the, the part that you want to go around and pay attention to, and uh, you know any other things that uh, actually have a tendency to pop up in my mind. Yeah, that's what we're uh, going to talk about. Now that I hear the music, we got to take a quick commercial break. You listen to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned because I'll be right back. Traded all my blindness for sight Traded all my pain for the gain Got a key to the gate and a seat at your table, yeah I look up and I can see it got me where I wanna be Every single part of me becoming something heavenly You make me brand new It's like I'm rising up from the water Living in the light You call me into Every day's a new beginning My heart's like a church choir singing Take the wheel, only way I'm getting to the other side. Days are getting dark, life's a little hard. Blinded, but I'm trying not to lose sight. I don't got this, I know you got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll believe it before I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're gonna see me through it. If anybody can, you can do it. God, I know in the trial, and we're back. Hey, this is Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning, 11 to noon. Uh, if you'd like to reach out and talk to me about anything you hear on this program, feel free to go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com, or you can call us, 330-664-0700, and I will try to get back to you as quick as humanly possible. And, uh, you know, we were talking about bonds, and there's a, uh, the reason I'm spending so much time on this is because interest rates are starting to go up, and they're becoming, they're getting to be a little bit more attractive, actually a lot more attractive than they have been over the past couple of years. So it's a big deal because 40% of assets are typically, of investable assets uh, in financial markets are typically parked in bonds. That's huge. Actually, the bond market's three to four times larger than the stock market is. And uh, there's a good reason for that. So anyway, one of the other alternatives, and we, we talk about this fairly frequently on the show, because at, at some point in time, some people want to really try to reduce the amount of risk they're taking. So bonds give you the opportunity to do that. One of the other things that we talked about is I uh, have been talking about fixed index annuities. I look at the fixed, the guaranteed portion. That's what's most important to me is when I'm looking at that, the guaranteed portion, I don't think the underlying investments are going to compete with the guarantees. That's that's why I don't really spend a lot of money, or a lot of money, a lot of time. Time is money. <laughs> the, uh, uh, that's why I don't spend a lot of time talking about the underlying investment vehicles, and they've got some nice ones. Uh, the, the, the problem is I just can't imagine them outperforming the fixed guaranteed portion. Uh, because it, it's pretty high. I think a, an average 70-year-old would be getting somewhere around 6 to 6.25% uh, guaranteed for their lifetime. 
no matter what happens to the stock market. Now, that's pretty high. These bonds we're talking about, they're paying half or less than that, which is still a lot higher than it was 18 months ago. But this is like kind of an intermediate step. It's, it's a step in between uh, fixed income and, st- and pure stock, stock funds. Okay, so the, the fixed index would be in the middle there. The safest that you can do, now you can make your fixed income portfolio really risky by buying junk bonds. That's not a good idea in my opinion. You're not getting paid enough money to take on that kind of risk. So I would stick to just the super high quality bonds that are out there for uh, your super safe money. And then you might go into, I look, I need a little bit more income than that. Okay, we can bring in a fixed indexed annuity. Uh, that's going to have a, a higher guaranteed income, but that is fixed, by the way. It's going to stay fixed. So you still need the growth. That's what the stocks are for. We're going to hopefully over long time periods, stock returns tend to come in or have, we're hoping that they come in over their super long-term averages. If you go back to the 1970s, early 70s, okay, when S&P 500, which wasn't even around back then, it wasn't a fund that you could invest in back then, but they just... It, we're calculating the index. The uh, um, it was down over fifty percent between seventy two and seventy four, and the Nasdaq was down over seventy percent. Sound familiar? <laughs> and that that stuff kind of happens every once in a while. That's why we don't put all of our money in stocks, our stock funds, because they're extremely volatile. And if we have another period like that where they go down and it takes them ten years or longer to recover. That's really going to have a major impact on your ability to maintain your lifestyle in retirement. You got to watch that. That's why the uh, fixed income balance, how much you have in fixed income versus how much you have in stock funds, really you need to pay attention to that, particularly in the first few years of your retirement, particularly then, because those first few years are going to have a huge impact on the rest of your retirement. If you happen to retire in 2000, you know, March of 2000, when the market peaked right before it dropped 50% and took three years to finish that long, dismal decline, was down over 50% in March of 2003. That happened to be the bottom. It, it took it until November of 2007, took the S&P anyway, until November of 2007 to recover when it promptly went down 57%. <laughs> And had you invested, I mean, if you had retired in March of 2000, by the way, this is why I'm not retiring, because with my luck, that's exactly what's going to happen again. <laughs> and so you, you learn, if you stay in this business long enough, you're going to learn that you can't rely on luck. You're going to have to develop a plan so that even if the plan, uh, even if the economic conditions aren't the greatest or happen to be like the... Uh, 2003, 2003, that are 2000 through 2000, through 2010. Get so excited. I can't even speak. Yeah. If you have another period of 2000 through 2010, where you're 10 years later and your uh, assets have been depleted by 50% twice while you were taking money out of it, you know, there's a really good chance you could run out of money in retirement. That's exactly what you want to do, right? Go, you, and you know, by the time that, that, that I get there, I won't even be able to get a, a job as a greeter at Sam's or, or at uh, Walmart because they're going to be robots <laughs> standing there. Uh, I hope not, but you know, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. The, uh, 
I just lost my whole train of thought there. Well, so anyway, um, yeah, going back to fixed income, you've got now the whole world has opened up to us. Uh, I used to just use super low expense ratio, uh, short-term exchange-traded funds that were investing in bonds. It was just still fine. You know, it's just they won't make as much money. Uh, they're going to fluctuate. They still fluctuate. They fluctuate a lot more than individual bonds do. The uh, even though individual bonds make up the typically about ninety-seven percent of the assets of those funds. Why do they fluctuate more when they're in a fund? Well, because you've made it easier for people to buy them and sell them. And the easier it is to buy or sell, the more the stock price or the more the underlying price is going to fluctuate. And yeah, actually, when you take a, a bond and put it in an exchange-traded fund or a mutual fund, you've just turned a bond into a stock if it's, in an e if it's in an ETF. You just converted it into a stock. Now, the reason you buy fixed income typically is because it's fixed. You don't want it fluctuating that much. And uh, unfortunately, you get into a lot of funds who will take chances. I've experienced this a million times. Look, this is going to be our yield. If if the yield is, say, 1% or 2% higher than the yield on a 10-year treasury, a 10-year treasury bond, and I I forgot where that even is right now. The uh, I can look it up really quickly. So a 10-year U.S. treasury right now is right around 3%. That's for a 10-year treasury. So if you've got a bond fund that's paying more than 4%, okay, there's no other way to do that than to take a significant amount of risk. So I'm looking at AAA corporate bonds for 10 years. They're only 3.8. You know, and if that AAA rating goes away, um, that bond price is going to drop like a rock. And you're going to have to wait until it matures and hope that the company stays in business long enough to pay that bond off. So not really worth that kind of risk. The uh, By the way, the two-year, um, they're all about... 250, 220 to uh, one years are at 220 now for a lot of those the U.S. Treasuries. Um, yeah, I, well, 2.19. That's that is a lot higher than it's been in an incredibly long time period. And so again, I, one of the reasons I'm I'm spending so much time talking about this is because so many people are out there looking. Uh, it's easy to get talked into things that that have much higher interest rates. That, uh, but if you don't understand the product, it, it's not a good thing. Um, and it might be a good thing. I mean, I, that was my biggest concern with the uh, fixed index annuities when I first started looking at them. Okay, you're in this. Is, these are long-term investments. You pull out of them uh, completely before the uh, um, penalty period's over, and you could pay a fairly significant amount of, of money there. It's not the end of the world, but it's uh, it's not as liquid as short-term bonds are. So the rate's got to be good enough to make sense. And I think if you look at those things, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. For some people, it makes a lot of sense. If you, know, if you have enough money, you'd be getting more than you'll ever spend. You know, That's very rare, by the way, <laughs> that that happens. And you've got some other guarantees there that you don't have through other types of, of products. So um, treasuries, they're very, very similar to CDs. And now that CDs trade on a secondary market, uh, meaning you can buy and sell CDs from big financial institutions, uh, you can shop around. Uh, they've basically converted a CD into a bond. Now it's, it's like a real bond. And uh, I think that's pretty fascinating. 
It's uh, kind of cool, actually. And then you've got um, agencies. Those would be like Ginny Mae, Fannie Mae. Uh, they pay a little bit more sometimes. Uh, yeah, actually, their tenure from the agencies are pretty high. But if you remember, um, back in the financial crisis, those agencies aren't the same thing as a guarantee by the U.S. government. So there's a little bit of risk there. I, you know, the People took a little haircut there in the bonds that they were buying from those agencies. And then you have corporate AAA. Um, those are supposed to, supposedly high grade. In in my mind, the, the, the premium that you're going to pick up for buying a corporate bond over a government bond is just not high enough. I just don't want to take that kind of risk. See, the risk when you buy a bond from the U.S. US government, U.S. Treasury, is that the price is going to change. Okay, but if you wait until maturity... You get your money back. It just matures. You get your principal back. That's a pretty good deal. Uh, if you're buying 30-year government bonds and interest rates go up, that price on that 30-year government bond is going to drop like a rock. Okay, So the price is not guaranteed the entire time like a CD is. A CD is not going to pay as much as a 30-year government bond. Well, actually, it might. Yeah, it does today. <laughs> That's, no, actually, they don't have... Uh, yeah, they don't have 30-year CDs. They're not listed anyway. But, so forget all that. <laughs> Lovely that that was uh, that way. I've got about 60 seconds left before I have to take a real quick commercial break. So if you would like to get in touch to talk about how to design your own fixed income portfolios uh, and your stock portfolios, when I come back, we'll talk about stocks more in uh, detail. Um, just feel free to go to my website. You can reach out to me there. It's uh, bullingtoncapital.com, or you can call me 330-664-0700. I'm typically not as wired as I am when I'm doing the radio program because uh, when I'm doing the radio program, it's early in the morning. I haven't eaten anything, and I've, I've had a big Starbucks. <laughs> Those guys are magicians <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. But uh, Anyway hear the music that means i gotta take a real quick commercial break you're listening to bill bullington right here on 1420 stay tuned i'll be right back Hey, this is Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. 
You can reach me at my website, BullingtonCapital.com, or you can call us, 330-664-0700. And, uh, you know, I was thinking back to when I was first doing this show the other day, and it shocked somebody that I was talking to. He said, uh, when, when, how long have you been doing the show? And I go, oh, I, can't, I can remember almost exactly because uh, it was 1996, and... It was in the summer. I, I actually, I, I can't remember the month. The uh, but uh, I have the original tape. Think about that for a second. It's a tape. <laughs> and uh, we're talking about Qualcomm. Yeah. <laughs> so the the guy that runs the show here at the uh, radio station said he was only a sophomore in high school. <laughs> That's good. When I was a sophomore in high school, gold was eight hundred dollars an ounce. I remember that. <laughs> you know why I remember that? Because it was the highest it had ever been. And we had had tons of inflation, and you know, they they started this little government program. You might have heard of it. It's called Medicare. <laughs> that was started in the 1960s, and they had this great idea. We're just going to print the money and to pay for it. You know, we'll just print it up. It's uh, they weren't as sophisticated as they are today as banks. So you had, and then or there were other things going on in, in the economy worldwide. People were trying to get off the gold standards, and uh, you know things were going haywire. The, the Inflation got, ooh, it was in the mid-teens for a while. I mean, think about that. You know, at 15%, the cost or the value of the investment actually doubles in five years. Five years at a 15%. And we had 15% inflation. And by the way, I, I'm pretty sure it was higher than that. Those were the government statistics that they were publishing. And uh, I'm not sure I, I would trust the government that much to tell me exactly how much prices are going up by because they have to increase the social security payments they're making by that amount. <laughs> so, it, and by the way, it also affects the amount of interest that they have to pay on the new notes and bonds that they're issuing. The, the interest rate on that goes up too. So the uh, interest expense is a huge cost of the federal budget. And I don't know, I, I guess the uh, cynical side of me just goes, yeah, if I owed $36 trillion and got to set my own interest rate and it was based on the inflation rate, what am I going to report? <laughs> now, I, actually, I would report it like it is. That That's probably why I'll never reach a, uh, I'll never be president. <laughs> I just, uh, just kidding. But uh, anyway, so we've got stocks. Yeah, we're going to start to go over some individual stocks. There aren't a lot actually coming up on scans. Surprise, surprise. Uh, market being down 11.5%. That's actually correction mode. Uh, when the market's down 11, over 10% from its most recent high, which was just in January, that's considered a correction. That's not a that's not a bear market. It's a correction that's uh, it's only 10%. Bear market's typically defined as a market that, that is down 20%. So if the S&P were to drop another 10% from here, we would be considered to be in a bear market. Uh, and when you have these types of conditions, when markets have been dropping, the number of stocks that come up uh, that look really good, that might, you might have a chance to make some decent money with relatively quickly, tend to shrivel up. There's just not as many of them. And I think I've got a whole total here. I'm going to run this again. Uh, yeah, wow. It's only, there are only 13. Only 13 stocks. And one of them that's really funny is... Uh, what used to be Philip Philip Morris, 
and there's some with mo mo i, I don't think this is a, a fast grower a big grower but uh ultra group they uh is the the new name you know they have changed a lot over the past 30 40 years um anyway if you want to look at that one up you can look it up i'm not a big fan of that one it just uh, jogged my memory because back when I first started in the industry was like the late 1980s, that company had had such a great long-term track record that everybody was recommending it. And so when it flashes up on a scan, I'm like, oh, I remember that. Yeah. And uh, that's one of the uh, um, benefits of, of being old <laughs> is that you go back, you look at this stuff, you go, oh, yeah, I remember that. And I remember Campbell Soup. That's the number two stock that's showing up on the scans today. Another stock that I don't think is probably going to double or triple anytime real soon. Although it's at 48 bucks, it was at 70 um, back in 2016. It was also close, it was over 60 in the late 90s. Holy cow. Late 90s, that stock was over 60 bucks. Goes all the way down to $20. By uh, 2003, then peaks again in 2000, looks like 2016, at just barely above where it was in 1997. That's almost 20 years. And when people say, oh, I'm a long-term investor, th this is what I want to show them. Okay, this is what a long-term investor has to put up with. You get a stock that drops two-thirds of its value, finally recovers, after nearly 20 years and then goes down uh, you know 50% again that that's what's they're aggravating <laughs> to say the least but is Campbell Soup a good company yes it is is it undervalued right now i think it is yeah i think it should be actually selling closer to 70 bucks does that mean it's going to go there tomorrow heck no stocks never listen to me <laughs> but uh, so do i think it would be a good part of a portfolio yes and it's actually a part of a lot of the exchange-traded funds that we hold. And if you tune into this show next week, I'm going to go through each one of the funds that we hold over the next few weeks, not in one day, just one week. And I'm going to read off the top holdings, how they were selected. That makes a big difference. I'm, uh, it's, it's kind of frustrating after all the years where people look at, well, what's just gone up the most? What do you mean? The uh, uh, well, That's how I pick my funds. And that's how most people pick their funds. They look at what's gone up the most. Now, they'll say, no, I'm looking at five or 10 years. Well, let me tell you how the best five and 10-year performing funds get there. They put in a blazing 18 months, probably the last 18 months. And it lifts those long-term averages up. And if you looked at it year by year, you'd be like, hey, wait a minute. That doesn't look like 15% a year. Uh, yeah, because it's not. It was 4 or 5%, maybe even negative for several years. And then it had this great big surge, and that lifted all the long-term. And if you missed most of that surge, you're toast. And that's exactly the, 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 the reason that the vast majority of investors have a tendency not to do as well as they would do if they just had a diversified portfolio and just held on to it. Yeah. Because the the... Funds within the portfolio are making adjustments along the way. They'll buy and sell Campbell's Soup along the way. In fact, a big part of the um, fluctuation in that stock is caused by the index funds that hold it. You know, so they're making adjustments constantly. And that's normally why 
um, mutual funds will have a or exchange traded funds will have a tendency to have better track records in the long run than somebody trying to do it on their own. You'd have to devote twenty four seven to this, well, at least forty or fifty hours if you wanted to just to keep up with some of these funds. You know how I know that? Because I've done it. <laughs> it is not easy. It's uh, really difficult, and I, I really like the ideas. And one of the benefits of doing what I've done over my career is that when you build your own models and you test your own models, you have a better idea of what actually works and what may be just a flash in the pan. And it just gives you a slightly better idea of that. Uh, and it's probably going to hold you back a little bit over some time periods, but in the long run, you should come out um, very well. You know, you should do very well. If you have large cap, mid cap, small cap, intermediate, um, I'm sorry, international, and uh, I think you'll be fine there. And I don't know about the emerging markets a little bit. And, and in fact, a lot of stocks like in the Russell 3000, some of those stocks are in emerging markets and they're very small. So you can pick those up. A lot of them are in a lot of the ETFs that are out there and available at the, uh, Actually, Russell's got a ton of ETFs that, that carry a lot of those companies. And you know that more than half the revenues of companies in the Russell 1000 come from uh, foreign countries? Yeah, that's how those companies got to be that big. They, they're, they're everywhere. So you get some exposure internationally to those types of, of stocks, uh, but you don't have the same type of risk they call currency risk. It, it reduces the currency risk somewhat. So that, that's a pretty good deal. It's it's a lot easier today for people that uh, want to spend the time to be able to go out and put together a really nice, well diversified stock portfolio. And if you want to be, you know, swing from the trees, and uh, that's what the Bullington Capital or the, uh, um, actually, no, I took that down. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't have enough time. That's where you have to learn how to basically. It, trade or be a long-term investor and they both have various levels of difficulty but instead of having me talk about a lot of that i I really want to just kind of go back and review what we talked about at first we didn't cover a whole lot of economics there's not a lot to cover right now um everything's kind of out of ordinary out of its ordinary because the you've got the pandemic that's still lingering around you've got this um, thing with Russia that's a really big deal. It's choking supply chains and, and affecting a lot of things uh, around the world. So that's affecting the economy right now. I don't think anything that you see in the economy you can actually rely on. It's all going to change again as, as soon as or when um, this stuff is pushed behind us. And uh, right now, a lot of people are asking, should I do anything differently? No. Nope. See, when we set up a portfolio, we're looking at the past history where these kinds of things have happened multiple times. Okay, That's how I built the models that I use. I looked at those time periods and said, okay, what would have been the right thing to do? And the right thing to do is match up your risk tolerance. That's an individual item. Match up your risk tolerance with your portfolio. Keep them in alignment. Okay, And then just hold the course. You're going to have to make adjustments because there, you'll have years where stocks do incredibly well and you'll have years where they're not doing as well. And you, you need to adjust that. 
probably about once a year or once every other year. It's not nearly as, as much as people think it is. And the people who uh, rebalance their portfolios more frequently than that generally don't make as much money. Now, when something comes up like this change that's happened because of some software that allows us to improve on the fixed income somewhat, uh, yeah, then you might want to make changes because of that. That that is one of those instances where you know you might want to take a look at it. It's not going to kill you if you don't, but it might help you a little bit. And I got a pretty good feeling it's going to help a lot of people a little bit. So uh, if you're a client and you wonder why, hey Bill, how come you didn't tell me about that? I'm telling you about it right now. <laughs> the uh, and if I haven't called you about it yet, it's because I've got you know, we're working burning the midnight oil trying to get a hold of everybody just to let them know. You know, this is a pretty good deal. You can get better than, you know, better than 2% on a short-term um, investment. You can actually get somewhere between 25 and 3% right now on some, uh, some that are a little bit longer in nature. And I've talked about doing ladders. That's where you get a one-year, two-year, three-year, four-year, five-year, six-year, seven-year. That, that's the best because, in my opinion, Every year you got something coming up for renewal. So if interest rates move up, your whole rates are going to move up. That's great. You don't have to guess. When you have to guess or you have to forecast, you stand a really large chance of being wrong. Okay. So people try to, I think the uh, uh, quest for perfection has been the cause of many, many, many losses that indeed didn't need to be there. So you don't want to, we don't want to be perfect. We just want to be profitable because it's impossible to be perfect. And st- stressing out over trying to be perfect is not a good way to live your life. You, know, you, you do the very best you can. You, you know, try to get a, the best advice you think you can get. And uh, you just go from there. And then if you've got a good plan, when the markets change, people, what are you going to do now? Uh, we're going to do the same thing that we planned on doing when we knew that this might happen. You know, it's... All the funds that we're using are adjusting on the inside. In fact, it would probably turn your stomach a little bit if you saw the buys and sells that are going on inside of an exchange-traded fund, especially one who uses momentum and profitability in the uh, set of criteria that it uses to select funds. Those stocks are wild. They've also done very well. (laughs) So that's. But if you knew that ahead of time, and you knew what to expect when the market has a big correction, you wouldn't be upset. Or you might be upset, but at least you'd have expected it. You know? And that's when I feel like people really get uh, upset is when, they, when something happens that they don't expect. Okay? That's one of the reasons that the fixed income, when you take fixed income and you're trying to guess, you know, I'm going to buy 30 years and when, when I think it's the right time, I'm going to sell. Good luck with that. That is just like trying to predict the stock market. And if anybody, there are two, two types of people that can predict financial markets, the lucky and the liars. Those are the two people that can. And, and by the way, guess which category is larger? I'm going to leave you with that one. <laughs> the, uh, you don't have to, but uh, anyway, so if you've, if you've heard anything that you'd like more information on, please feel free to call me or send me an email and don't mind talking about it. This is all I do every day. The uh, poor Gary and Melissa I have to listen to this all the time, but the, uh, uh, no, it's, we all like what we do. And we'll try to help you in the best way we can. Everybody's a little bit different. That's the thing that uh, I find fascinating about 
um, money management or people's opinions when it comes to money. I've seen married couples who have completely opposite styles, yeah, completely opposite tolerances for for risk. It's it's pretty interesting. I'm sure it makes for an interesting marriage, but the um, uh, better than being bored, I guess. <laughs> but so it, it's fun when we can come in and, and talk and show. You know, when you're in the office, we pull up illustrations. Like this is how this normally happens. This is why this is happening. And just knowing why oftentimes puts your mind at ease. And and I'm going to tell you, investing is 95% psychology. 95% psychology. It's 5% knowledge. And that kills everybody that ever went and got a, an advanced degree in, in finance or economics. <laughs> because they, they know what I'm talking about. But uh, anyway, it doesn't really go. There, there, there are a lot of great people I've met over the years and they're actually most of my professors back when I was in college I hear the music that means my show is over you've been listening to Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420 uh, have a good week everybody good luck good investing you just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report Broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.